Thank you, everybody. Just need a minute to compose myself after worship. <laughs> Come on, who loves worshiping Jesus? <clears throat> it's always an honor, a huge, huge, huge honor and privilege to be able to stand here and share the word um, with the people of God. I uh, have fear and trembling to be able to do this, and uh, it's a huge privilege. So I just want to thank Jesus, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we have such easy access, Lord, to be able to just go to any shop and buy a Bible, get it on our phones. Lord, I just thank you that you would continue to just open our eyes and our hearts to, to the value of your word, Lord. That it wouldn't just be text on a page, but Lord, that it would become the living word in our hearts. Lord, this morning, above all, I pray that the revelation of Jesus would be imparted. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would fill my mouth with your words to release into the hearts of your people today. Let it not just be information to receive, but let it be revelation to transform, revelation to encounter you, Lord, to go deeper, to become more like you. We exalt you, Lord. We love you. We just want you. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you come and you minister your word to us. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited. I love the word. <clears throat> I was really ill this week. But I feel a lot better today. And I, even though I was really sick, I had a lot of fun preparing for today. Um, what I love about Jesus is that you could read the same scriptures again and again and again and again. But every day, it's like you're reading it for the first time. You know, when you actually have relationship with the Lord, um, the scriptures become alive. You know, you can have conversations with like people who are, who've maybe never met the Lord. And they're like, you know, well, I've tried reading it, but it just doesn't make sense to me. And then you talk to that same person once they're saved and they're like, it's like a different book. Like, I don't even remember reading it like this, you know. And, and I remember having that too. I remember reading the Bible once I'd actually met the person of Jesus and it really was like I was reading something completely different. It was like I was looking into the heart of God and, and it, it, it came alive to me. It became like food, like sustenance, like every day. I can't go a day without feasting on His Word. And it doesn't matter if you're you know, able to read chapters and chapters and chapters a day or if there's one line that He's speaking to you through. Some people don't give time to the Word because they feel like they don't have enough time to, to take in volumes. It's like if you have time for one line, soak up that Scripture. Let the, let the Word nourish you. I love Paul says in, in Colossians 3 verse 16, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. In the Amplified it says, permeating every aspect of your being. It's like be filled with His Word. Let it change you. Let it shape you. Let it mold you. But I believe that more, more than ever, we are in a time where it's not okay to just settle for listening to something, to just settle for the information or just knowing something, even if it is true. In other words, you can hear a sermon every single week that could be powerful and anointed and wild, but if you just hear it and do nothing with it, as powerful and true as what it is, it might not change your life. 
I remember something that uh, Pastor Connor, I think it was Pastor Connor said once that um, nothing that is ever said from the pulpit will change your life, but what you choose to do with it will. So you can hear the gospel, you can hear the word, you can hear the prophetic, all these different things. But unless you actually take it to the feet of Jesus, unless you actually choose to do something with it, to feast on it, it will stay as information. It will just be something that you know, maybe something that you can quote, but you'll feel so unsatisfied because you won't actually see the substance of it in your life. And we, you can see that tension within so many believers where they know a whole lot of stuff, but the struggle is they're not seeing the fruit of Jesus in their life. And it, it really makes you uncomfortable. I know I've been there before too, where you can watch YouTube uh, sermon after sermon and always hear these preachers all over the world and it's good and it's exciting. But at the end of the day, I might be able to quote all these scriptures. I might remember these one-liners from Bill Johnson or whoever it is. But is there a reality of Jesus in my life? Have I actually met him? Is the gospel actually producing the fruit of righteous, righteousness in my life as it is meant to? And I believe that we're in a time where more than ever, we need to be a people that are not about information, but we're about revelation. Here's the difference. Information means that you know something, and revelation looks like intimacy. Information means I, I know that Jesus is the Son of God. Revelation is I know Jesus, the Son of God. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. Both are true, but the, the heart of the gospel, the heart of what Jesus did on the cross, is that we're meant to be a people that experience the presence of God. Not a people who have a whole lot to say about the presence of God, but a people who are actually filled with Him, surrounded by Him, walking in Him. I love in Acts 17, it, see, it says, In Him we live, we move, and we have our being. Our whole lives are meant to be wrapped up in the presence of God. And the key to that is revelation. You don't have to have a whole lot of information. Some people beat themselves up because they're like, oh, I, just, I just don't know my, my Bible enough. Like, I don't know all these scriptures. It's like, it's okay. Take it one day at a time. Just make sure you're looking at Him. He'll do it in you. It's not about trying to memorize a whole lot of stuff, although that, that's good and that can be helpful. But the point is getting the Word inside of you. The point is getting revelation, which is being intimate with the Word. It's being intimate with Jesus, actually encountering Him. That's when Christianity becomes really, really exciting. See, if we settle for just information alone, it will actually start to weigh you down. I remember I heard someone say it's like having um, like a tool belt with all these different tools that you know about, but you have no idea how to use them. So what actually happens is you're actually just weighed down by all these tools. It's just, it's heavy. It's slowing you down because you don't even know how to use them, right? But Revelation gives you the knowledge and the ability to actually use the things that God has given us. Where you don't just know that you're the righteousness of Christ, but you are living and demonstrating in the fruits of righteousness. You don't just know and can quote the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but you are seeing the fruit of His presence inside of you demonstrated in your life. And that comes through knowing the person of Jesus. One of my favorite examples of this is actually um, in the Gospel of Luke, right at the end in chapter 24. Um, I think it's something that we so often miss, but it's, uh, Jesus has, he's risen from the dead and he's spending time with his disciples. And there's only an account of this particular um, story in Luke, but it happens twice in this chapter where it says that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all through the Psalms and the prophets, begins to reveal the things that pertain to himself to the disciples. In other words, he sits with them with the word and he shows them all the things that are pointing to him. 
Then later on, right at the end of chapter 24, it says that he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That blows my mind. Because you've got to understand, in, in the context of what we're reading in the Gospels, Jesus is busy ministering to the people of Israel, to a Jewish people who have been raised from a very young age, becoming familiar with the Torah, becoming familiar with the Word, right? So a lot of them are raised, they're, they're trained to, to be able to, to quote it. Like They didn't even have um, you know, chapters and verses, it's just recited. They just hear it over and over and over and over again. But you've got to understand how significant it is where suddenly the disciples are sitting with Jesus and he's opening their minds to actually understand the scriptures. It's not just texts that, they, that they're familiar with anymore. They've actually met the word himself and it changed everything for them. And I believe that that wasn't just for the disciples. I believe if you want to understand the word, if you want to understand the heart of God, that you need to encounter the person of Jesus, or you can read till you're blue in the face. And that's not me belittling the power of the word. I'm saying that you cannot separate the text from the person. This is Jesus' imprint. I heard this once, that the Bible is the, the only book in the world that demands the author be present when reading it. Don't you love that? <clears throat> I remember once um, I used to teach music and I, I had many amazing opportunities to, to just minister to the students that I was teaching. And um, there was one guy in particular who, you know, he said, I've tried reading the Bible, but it just it doesn't make sense to me, you know. And in, in the moment, something came to me that I thought was quite funny, but it, it like made sense with what I just said to you now. But I said, look, bro, I remember doing Shakespeare in school, right? I had no idea what that stuff was about. Like you're reading and you're like, this doesn't even, is this even English? You know, I, I don't believe it, you know. But I said to him, I was like, you know, it would probably be really helpful if I could sit with Shakespeare and be like, what does this mean? You know, I was like, it's the same with the Bible, you know, except we actually get to sit with Jesus. Thank God we don't have to sit with Shakespeare. That's irrelevant, but <laughs> I, don't, I would never want to do that. But um, we actually get to sit at the feet of Jesus and receive from him. The, the person of Jesus himself gets to teach us the word. And that, that's so valuable. And I, I really want to encourage you, don't, don't read this without him. Just, just don't. It's, it's, it's going to be more frustrating than anything else. But know that you have unlimited access to his presence. He's, he lives inside of you. So you always have the opportunity to receive from him. Um, information alone, if we settle for that where we just know a couple of scriptures, we know uh, statements of truth or facts about the gospel uh, without revelation, is where you can get language like, uh, well, you know, I know that I'm a son, or I know that I'm a daughter, but what's my purpose in life? Or you can hear things like, you know, I, I know that Jesus died for my sins, but you just don't know what I've done. Like, I can't, I can't forgive myself. Like, you, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. See, that's information where it's, so, it's, it's like torment for a person to see freedom, but to not know how to get from point A to point B. And the, the path, so to speak, the way to the Father, the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. When you experience sonship by encountering Jesus, you will know that that is the very reason that you're alive, is to know Him. When you experience the one with, nails, uh, with holes in His hands and the wound in His side, you will you'll have a revelation of the fact that your sins are, forg are forgiven, which means you have no right to hold yourself accountable anymore. 
that you can actually walk in the freedom that He's given you because you have revelation of what He's purchased, not just information. I can tell you that your sins are forgiven, but until you've encountered the Lamb of God, you'll never walk in the freedom that, that you're supposed to. Does that make sense? Really, really important. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture. Something that the Lord, you know, one of those places where He just takes you back to again and again and again. Like I said, you know, you come back and you read something. It's like you've read it for the first time. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's, let's go from verse Let's go from verse 14. I'm going to read quite a big chunk, but we're going to focus on a specific section. But just to give us a nice bit of context. So from verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him uh, thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Hallelujah. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, uh, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Stop there. What, we're gonna, what I want to really unpack today that we really understand is this message and ministry of reconciliation. Um, now, this is a really like core uh, kind of word in, in, in understanding the gospel and what Jesus has done. But I, I never want to, I always want to be careful with words that are uh, common in Christianese, so to speak. Nothing wrong with the words, they're biblical as you just heard. But um, it's really important that we understand what they mean and that we don't just use them and hope that everybody understands, right? So reconciliation, let me explain it this way simply first of all. Uh, reconciliation is being restored back in oneness with God. So sin and death separated us, no relationship with God, but because of the cross, Jesus reconciled us back to the Father. He brought us back to our original design and destiny, which is to be in oneness with the Father, okay? The word reconciliation actually means to restore uh, friendly relations. So it's really powerful when you actually understand the meaning, because listen to what it says. It says, restore friendly relations, in the words that are used in, in explaining and understanding the gospel reveals to us the heart of God where reconciliation is not establishing a friendship with God, it's restoring a friendship with God. Meaning that it shows us that right from the beginning, God's design and intention was for man to know Him and to be in Him, to live and move and have our being in Him. But sin came in, pride and arrogance came in, and we were separated from that. But God Himself came bore our sins, died on the cross, rose again, ascended to the Father, praise God. And because of that, He has restored us to friendship and intimacy with God. Does that make sense? Really important that we understand these words, right? Okay, so now listen to this. Verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. 
Isn't that powerful? I love reading things like that because you, like, when you read the Word, learn to pause on everything that you read. Even if you initially feel like it makes sense. But pause and be like, whoa, what is he saying here? You get to see, like, the partnership between man and God so much in the Word, which is so beautiful. He says, God making his appeal through us. It's like he could just do it himself, but he chooses to do it through his people. I think that's wild. Uh, therefore, we are, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Okay, here we go. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Whoa. Again, pause. This is, this is big language. Okay, the word implore, what he's about to say, he's not about to give you a recommendation. Implore doesn't mean, I, I strongly suggest, or in my professional experience, this is what you should do. The word implore is to earnestly or desperately beg someone to do something. It's a big deal what he's about to say. And not only that, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, which means that this might as well have said, thus saith the Lord. This is coming from God through Paul. And it's, it's not just a, a word or a message. It's actually this heart cry, this plea, this desperate um, begging and earnest word that, that they would catch, right? And listen to what he says. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now at first, I don't know about you, that doesn't really make sense. And I'll tell you why if you haven't got it yet. He's just explained to them reconciliation, that it's something that they have received. And just in case you didn't know, this letter is to a church. It's not written to unbelievers. In fact, it's to quite an established church. This is the second letter to Corinthians, so there's already a long history with Paul here. Yet he's saying to them, be reconciled to God. It's like, but surely if they're saved and they've been a church for a while, they already are. Like, that's the point of the gospel. They've been reconciled, right? What Paul is trying to communicate here, and it's so important that we catch this, is he's communicated the message of reconciliation, but he's telling them to be reconciled. In other words, don't just settle for the message of reconciliation. Don't just know that you have been restored to a friend, friendship with God and an intimacy with God, but actually live it. Actually live your life reconciled to God. Don't just know about it. Experience it. Feel Him. Touch Him. Pray to Him. Love Him at all times. Actually live your life reconciled. And then he communicates the value. He instills the value of it. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why does he say that? He's communicating the price that was paid that you can be reconciled to God. He's reminding us that, hey, Jesus took everything on, on himself. And it wasn't just to deal with your sin. There's a big part of it, really, really important, absolutely vital that sin was dealt with. Sin is not a small thing, otherwise Jesus wouldn't have had to be crucified for it. It's a big thing, but it is not the point of the gospel. And it is vital that the end time church is a people that understands and walks in the fullness of the gospel. There are too many Christians in the world that settle for, he died for my sins, end of, full stop. What happens is you get a clean slate type of lifestyle where you keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again because you don't realize that you've been called into something higher. When you only know that your sins have been forgiven, it's not revelation, it's only information, which means that 
your mind hasn't yet been renewed, which means it's, it's very easy after you receive information like that to just continue walking in your old uh, way of life and thinking in old patterns of thinking. And then you're confused because you're like, I'm sure there's supposed to be more to this, but I, I, I feel actually even worse. Peter uh, actually says that. He says it's worse for someone to hear the knowledge of the truth and to go back to the life that they once lived because you know what you're actually doing. So Paul's saying here, it's not just about sin. That was dealt with. It was necessary and it was beautiful. But be reconciled to God. Don't just know the message. Actually come to Jesus. The cross is an eternal picture of his, uh, of his arms wide open, ready to receive his bride. <clears throat> it takes nothing more than your yes to him. You don't have to have it all figured out. Now remember, these are written as letters. So we have chapters and verses, which is very helpful for us to keep track of different themes and put magnets on our fridges and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this was written very much in one kind of cohesive thought, right? So if we continue, verse, uh, chapter 6 from verse 1, it says, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? <laughs> to do something in vain, the actual definition is to, um, to do something in vain is to do something without success or without a result. In other words, you do something but nothing happens. So Paul has just explained reconciliation to an established church, and he implores them, he earnestly and desperately begs them to actually be reconciled to God. He reminds them of the value by saying that, hey, Jesus became sin who knew no sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. Therefore, do not receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, don't let the grace, just, uh, the grace of God just be a message. A message alone will not change your life. The message of the gospel is powerful, but it must be encountered in your heart. It's with the, with the heart that man believes and is saved, not with the mind. In Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, not to our minds. That's why our minds have to be renewed. Your spirit is one and whole with God. Finished, done, perfect. Your spirit, man, is the perfection of Jesus, okay? Our job is to learn how to work out our salvation. In other words, what the finished work that has happened inside of us, we, we're going on a journey through relationship with God to let the fruits of who He is actually manifest in our outward lives. That is how you make sure that you don't receive the grace of God in vain, is that you actually engage with God Himself. If it's just a message, you will see no result. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is the most powerful thing that your ears will ever hear. But isn't it incredible, isn't it incredible that the Lord puts it on our receiving of it as to whether or not it will have any kind of impact in our hearts? That rocks me. He actually gives us the privilege and the ability to choose. You can listen and you can walk away, or you can listen and you can engage. You can take the gospel to the feet of Jesus. Be like, I don't even understand this. But help me, God. I recognize that I was made for you, that I want you and I need you. 
So help me, Lord. If you're, not, if you're not hungry, ask Him for hunger. Ask Him to make you hungry for the Word. Ask Him to make you hungry for revelation. It's okay to ask those things. Sometimes we get distracted. Don't focus on, oh, I'm all distracted all the time. Just get back in line with God. It's just easy, right? The gospel, by nature, is designed to transform every single thing about your life. The gospel is designed to take you from slavery into destiny, from brokenness into salvation, from absolutely nothing, no hope, into the fullness of who God actually is, into relationship and oneness with the Father. But you actually have to do something with it. That's not putting works on us. That's just saying, go to Jesus. (laughs) Don't just listen and forget, right? So he says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. What's he saying? Don't wait. Don't delay. Come to Jesus. Don't just settle for the message. Meet the messenger. Meet the one who actually died on the cross for you. Meet the one who actually formed you and gave you destiny and purpose. You can know him. It's not just a fairy tale, right? I get so grieved. I've had conversations with people where they want to take this like really, really slow because, you know, they don't want to be overwhelmed by all these things. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Just dive in. This is, you will never experience transformation in your life if you just dip your toes in the water. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is all or nothing. And that doesn't make him bad. He just knows the value of what he's giving us. It requires all. All. In the Greek, the word is all. I've always wanted to say that. Thank you, Lord. That came to me right then. (laughs) I think the time for um, excuses is just over, really. Had a long day. So what? Go to church. Had a long day. Read the Word. Pray. Love Jesus. You were born for it. You were made for it. You're not going to, I promise you, you are not going to feel rested by staying home from church. What garbage. You think it will. In the moment, you're like, oh, I can't get up. Like, I'm just going to have to stay here. I'm sure. You know, they just don't know the kind of week that I've had. So I'm just going to have my own church at home, you know. Sheesh. <laughs> Maybe a lot of you do that because no one really laughs. I don't know. I think in Hebrews where it says don't neglect the the gathering of the saints, I think the reason he wrote something like that is because there's a difference between people who don't and people that do. And that's not to put it heavy. It's just that God has designed this to be something. And uh, I don't want to miss out on that. There's something so precious about the secret place. It's vital that you spend alone time with God. But there's something extra special about the corporate gathering of the saints, of together coming and and worshiping Him. Turn with me to Romans 5.
as I said, it's really important that we understand that the grace of God is not just about, excuse me, not just about um, the, the forgiveness of sins, but it's about the life lived in Jesus. It's about that grace actually empowers you to live the life that he paid for. And um, Paul illustrates this so beautifully all throughout all of his letters, Romans especially, but um, in, in chapter 5, there was just something I read this week that like, again, you read something, it's like you've never read it this way before, but the way he illustrates almost separating yet making them one, the, the idea of being forgiven of sins, uh, but then actually coming into the lifestyle of reconciliation with God. I'm just going to read from uh, verse 6, again, just to kind of give us a little more context. So he says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will, sca- bless you, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Listen to this. This is so beautiful. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to pause there for a second because I've heard people say before, oh, you know, but yeah, we're still sinners. You know, I'm like, no, no, that's not what my Bible says. If you've been saved, you're a son. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You're not a sinner. If you think you're a sinner, then you'll see sin in your life. It'll be the natural thing that flows. If you think that that's the way you are, then that will be what flows from your life. But if you understand and have revelation that you're a son, then fruits of sonship will begin to flow from your life. Good? Um, Verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, justified just as if you've never sinned, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Verse 11, more than that. What the heck? More than that. More than being justified. More than the blood of Jesus being poured out for us and our sins being forgiven. More than us being freed and escaping from the wrath of God. I want to read what he has to say. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Come on. See, he takes the emphasis, he communicates how important it is that we've been justified. Because sin and God don't mix, right? So he's saying, you've not just been given a clean slate. You've not just been washed clean. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. In the Greek, the word actually means creature. It's like you're a whole new thing. You're not even a person anymore, you know? Um, Yet Paul says more than that, we rejoice in God through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, he puts all the emphasis back on the fact that we were made to encounter the person of Jesus, to know him, to not just know that you're free, but to actually live in the person of freedom himself. It's powerful. It's really powerful. If you catch this, if it becomes revelation in your heart, I promise you it will change your life. You'll find a new hunger for Jesus stirring because you'll realize that actually encountering him and being in his presence is everything that you were made for. So regardless of whether you're feeling awful, not even talking about health, I mean you're just feeling down in the dumps, or whether you're feeling like you're the best person ever and having the greatest day of your life, it's irrelevant. Jesus is worthy. I love, um, this morning I woke up with Psalm 42 on my heart, which says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul 
uh, longs for you, God. And later on, the psalmist says, why are you downcast, O my soul? He says, hope in God. Him shall I praise, because from Him comes my salvation. So it's like, even if you're having a rubbish day, that's okay. Hope in God. From Him comes your salvation. And this is what salvation is unto. It's not just about being saved. It's about what you've been saved into, which is um, union and intimacy with God Himself. Amen. some water, sorry. In Acts chapter 19, you don't have to go there, but um, it's a beautiful story. I'm sure many of you have heard it, but uh, Paul finds himself in Ephesus for the first time, and he comes across a few disciples. And um, this has been preached a few times, so I'm sure you know it, but his very first question, he doesn't even say hello. He just comes straight with a question. He's like, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? First question he says to them, and they say, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And he's like, well, what the heck were you saved into? <laughs> you know, what are you doing? And they say to him, no, we, we were baptized um, into the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance. And I love, Paul doesn't tell them like, oh, well, that's wrong, or that's a, a lesser thing, or whatever. He tells them, look, John, that was a, a baptism of repentance, which is good. It was for the forgiveness of sins. But the message of John was to prepare the way for the Lord. So now Paul gets to say to these guys, he's come. Jesus has come. We're not preparing the way anymore. He's done. He came. He did what he came to do. And now we get to live in this new covenant. And he lays his hands on them and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And they, they begin speaking in tongues. They begin to prophesy. And the gospel explodes in Ephesus. So much so that just a few, chap uh, a few verses down, it says that in two years, the whole of Asia Minor, which is the west coast of Turkey, heard the gospel. In two years. That's a massive region to hear the gospel. So it, it exploded, right? And what was the key? Th these disciples were obviously sincere. It's not that they weren't godly people. The baptism of John was not a bad thing by any means. It was preparing the way for Jesus. It was getting people used to um, this idea of, of repentance, of a holy repentance to actually come into relationship with God that sin needed to be dealt with. But Paul's telling them, you need to move away from, from sin now. You don't need to keep mustering on about sin all the time because the Lord has come. So receive the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Come to know the God that you're actually preaching about, and now you can take His message everywhere. The church needs to be awakened again. And I'm not speaking this uh, you know, to you. I'm saying this for myself as well. We need to have fresh revelation of the value of the indwelling person of Jesus in our lives. It's not a small thing that that was the first and only question that Paul had for these disciples in this region. It's because it's, it's everything. It's everything to have Him inside of us. That's why we have unlimited, unhindered access He's not ever far away. I think, excuse me, a lot of believers still subconsciously associate God as like the man upstairs, you know. That like he's very far away and uh, like I just, I need to get my life together and hopefully I can climb those stairs and get to him or see him or something like that. But it's like, no, we understand that he paid a great price to put his spirit, which is his innermost being. Do you understand that? The spirit of somebody is their innermost being. It's like the, the very core of who they are. That is what God has put inside of us. The very innermost person of Jesus 
has been made one with your spirit. Hallelujah. That's good news. That's really good news. Romans 6 verse 4. It says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I love the language there because it's something that's active. It's not we might know about a newness of life. It's we might walk in newness of life. We actually grab hold of the message of the gospel. We actually grab hold of what Jesus has for us and we walk in it. We live it every day of our lives. It doesn't matter if we make mistakes. That's okay. Get up again and carry on walking. Take the emphasis off of getting it wrong and put the emphasis on just loving him. If the focus of your life is loving Jesus you'll have a thrilling Christian life. You don't have to worry about walking in what He has for you when all you're concerned about is loving Him. We quote scriptures like, you know, uh, He will make straight my paths, but then we like wonder, like, well, where am I supposed to go, Lord? What's your plan for my life? What's all this? And He's like, then we don't hear sometimes. Some people are like, well, God's just silence. He's like, no, He's not. You just don't need to be worried about that. You can actually trust Him with your life. It sounds contrary because in the world that we live in, we need to have it all figured out. You have to have your finances in order and what you're doing in business and have all this in order and have the five-year, ten-year plan, have all these things going because if you don't, everything feels overwhelming and chaotic and it's just crazy and everyone else seems to have their life together. Why don't I have my life together? Oh, my word, I'm imploding. But in the kingdom, it's the other way around. I can actually trust him because he's a good father. Whether or not you've had a good or bad experience with a, a, a father on earth, I want to say with all the love in my heart is irrelevant. You have a good father in heaven. You have a good father who loves you, who knows your needs, who knows what you need before you even ask him. And all he's asking is for your affection. I said it a couple of weeks ago. So often the church is looking for direction. We want to know where we got to go, what we got to do, what the plan is for my life. But Jesus is seeking affection. You were made for intimacy. And I promise you, direction will flow from that place when you stop worrying about it. He will lead you. He's faithful. He's faithful. We too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life restores us to a living hope. Do you know that in the world, without Jesus, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand this, there is no hope. There's no hope in the world. Things are just going backwards, left, right, and center. The world is on a moral decline. It looks like there's just no hope. There's poverty everywhere. It's hectic. But being born again restores us to a living hope. Let me read, it. Let me read a scripture for you real quick. Uh, it's in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 from verse 11. I'm just going to start reading for the sake of time. Paul says, remember, uh, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, that's every single one of us here, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Okay, so he's talking about before we got saved. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope... And without God in the world. Hectic, right? 
That's where we were without the law. But listen, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who once were far off have been brought near. What is the implication? That everything he just said that we didn't have, we now have. We now are with God. We're not without God. We have hope. Peter, uh, in 1 Peter, it says, Blessed be our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through His resurrection has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's not a dead hope or a dying hope. It is a living hope. We have now entered into a covenant of promise. We are not strangers to those things. We are not separated from Christ. We are united with Him in a union that is indescribable. There are no words to describe how close you are positioned to Jesus right now. You may be seated on the earth right now, but just a little bit further back in Ephesians 2, do you realize that as the believer, you are always in two places at once? If you don't believe me, I'll read it. Uh, 2 verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You're seated in Him in the heavenly places right now. That is why you have unlimited access. Because you're seated there and you're also here and you're filled with Him. There is nowhere you can go where Jesus has, is not already. Absolutely nowhere. There's nothing that you could go through that could separate you from Him. There's nothing that you could do that could separate you from Him. Even sin. I think someone needed to hear that. Even sin will not separate you. You know, a good scripture in Romans 8 talks about all the things that, that cannot separate us from the love of God. And it lists a whole lot of things. And one of the things it doesn't list is our past. <clears throat> and I've heard some people preach that, you know, well, that's because the past is like the one thing that trips us up and, you know, can like make us feel like we're separated. I don't think so. I think if we really understand the gospel, we understand that everything that who I once was, in other words, my past, which is from right now, even a second ago, has been crucified with Jesus on the cross. It does not exist. Which means that in the Word, God didn't even deem it necessary to list the past as something that could possibly separate you from His love. It's not even worth mentioning because it's been dealt with. See, we have to... We have to feast on the gospel. We have to feast on the word. You've got to meditate on these things to let it hit our hearts again and again and again because the enemy will try his hardest to get any little thing to get us to believe the slightest little lie. We have to be focused and steadfast as believers, not moving from this place of, God, I need your word. I need your revelation. Not just information, but I need you, God. And I promise you, in whatever area of your life you feel like the enemy keeps hitting, if your response becomes praise, he will stop touching you there. Because he's trying to get you away from worshiping Jesus. So when you believe the lie that your sin has separated you from him, what do you do? You don't feel like you can go to God if you believe that. But imagine if you actually believe the gospel. And you believe that actually there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Actually, he put his spirit inside of me. Actually, I'm seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. 
I promise you the devil will flee from you. He's terrified of the believer who knows their position in Christ. And the end time church will be a people that actually live in this. The end time church is not a church that has opinions about vaccines and politics and he said, she said. It's a people who are walking in the fullness of the gospel. It's a people who are given to Jesus, who have looked into his eyes, who love him with everything, who would pay any price, any price to follow him. Who wouldn't dare let something like the past or a, mis- or a mistake hold them back from running into his arms. A people who are fully convinced that they are sons and daughters. That is the end time church that will be unstoppable. Where come hell or high water, Jesus will be exalted on my lips and in my life. Can I get an amen? amen. Jesus, you are beautiful. Thank you for the gospel, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. Would you stand? I just want everybody to just just close your eyes and Just meditate on the Lord. Just set your affections on Him, all your thoughts. I don't think that the the ministry of reconciliation is necessarily a thing about needing to have um, hands laid on you. Because really what every single one of us need to learn is how to come to Jesus. I can't say yes for you. You can't say yes for me. I can't, I can't go to the secret place for you. You can't go to the secret place for me. But the good news is that he's inviting each and every single one of us into the fullness of who he is. That is what he purchased on the cross. It's a message that never, ever, ever gets old. The more you hear it, the more you meditate on it, the more you begin to understand and experience the power of God and all that He has for you. So this morning, my encouragement to you is, in your own words, begin to engage with Jesus. If you forget anything, everything that I say, just don't, just don't forget this. To live your life reconciled to God. Stop settling for just the message. Stop settling for just a sermon lifestyle mentality. Aren't you tired of that? Stop just dipping your toes in the water. This morning, the invitation is to go all in. And if that scares you, my question is, what are you afraid to lose? Do you really want to hold on to anything from your life outside of Jesus? We should rejoice to let those things go.
Let go of your brokenness. Let go of your shame and your guilt and your hurt. Let go of your anger and embrace the grace of God for you. Embrace the person of Jesus. He loves you dearly. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He's here. The Lord is here. He's resting upon every single one of us. He longs for you. He says, come to me. Come to me. Just receive. Receive all that I have for you. Let go of what was never yours in the first place. And receive me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus to fill every heart and mind right now in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that the message becomes revelation in every heart right now. God, I thank you for personal encounter in every heart in Jesus' name. Father, I even ask for physical manifestations. God, I thank you that every person would feel tangibly your presence upon them right now. In Jesus' name. Let them feel your tender embrace this morning, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.